Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. On this episode, Pete Fletcher tells us about his time at the long-gone Star Wars Galaxy magazine. The curse words of Rick McCullum. Just seeing him in action with that very chill voice that he's got and just... But he was pissed about something, and he was he was telling Steve that they had to do something, and he was dropping F-bombs, uh, and then uh, excused himself one more time, apologized to me one more time for interrupting, and walked back up the stairs. And allegedly, George Lucas was in that meeting with him upstairs, although I don't know for sure. Steve made a reference to it, but that's uh, – I like in my heart to know that perhaps George Lucas was in the building when I was there at the same time. Not only that, he sent his like his henchmen right. down, he sent his Vader down to come d- down to <laughs> Sandsweet to swear at him. <laughs> and Christian Slater's first-hand Phantom Menace review, plus how his in-depth rewrite of the Phantom Menace led him to launching the Around the Galaxy podcast and a grip of Star Wars stories from the '90s to today. A really fun chat with plenty of laughs. This is Steel Wars episode 235, Pete Fletzer, looking back at Star Wars Galaxy Magazine. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And each week we talk to someone of interest about it. And we are back to the old school, if you will, interview format, which we're going to we're gonna try to get on a run with. But I know uh, several people had reached out and it's like, get back to the interviews. So we're here interviewing and our guest is podcaster former Star Wars Galaxy magazine writer, which I'm very excited about. And I, I, I want to delve into this very um, not often spoken about part of Star Wars publishing, but welcome from the Around the Galaxy podcast, Pete Fletzer. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I am very well. And we should point out for listeners, this is sort of like uh, – a bit of a, a one-two punch because yep. I was just on your show around That's the right. galaxy talking about me, <laughs> right? One of the most fascinating topics, and I, then, it, might, it might be the most fascinating one we've ever had. Really? Okay, oh, it's amazing. Wow! Thank you for um, <laughs> pandering to my <laughs> ego in that manner. Around the galaxy, what number are you up to now? Uh, we are up to fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. If, yeah, you get, so. if you can get past 58, you've got it made. That's what they say. I, th- I, th- I feel like, I'm, like, yeah, it's all downhill from here, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean, by, by that, I mean easier. Easier from, from this point forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it gets, once you get past 10, it gets easier. Right. And then once you get past 100, it gets harder. Uh, see, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid to go. Let's see what happens at that 100 point. <laughs> I, I, might, I might just slow down because I do one once a week and I, I, I haven't missed a week, which is insane. And um, 
Um, so I, I think I should probably slow it down just a little bit. Maybe try to pace myself. I don't know. Maybe not. If you want to slow it down, I would suggest producing a human. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because that, that will just crush your production. <laughs> well, my, my seven and ten year old, they, they're, they're now kind of at that point where they, they go to bed and then I do this thing. And that's how it's worked out for me so far. Very tight, very tight. Um, what what brought you back? I guess into I I, I want to get into this Star Wars Galaxy magazine. I'm, I'm so excited about it, but um, I feel like you were you know you were writing for that, and then who knows what you were doing? Right. It was a mystery. Do you know what I mean? Right. And uh, then you came around with the uh, Around the Galaxy podcast. What sort of prompted you to get into that, get back into the uh, talking Star Wars in a public forum? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So after I was with, uh, I was doing the stuff with Galaxy and some of the stuff I did with um, uh, Star Wars Insider, I went many, many, many years, almost, I guess, 20 years uh, without doing anything uh, with Star Wars. I, you know, I fell into the corporate world and was doing. You know, professional communications and that kind of stuff. And then for no reason, no solid reason that I'm able to identify, I decided to write a fan fiction novelization of The Phantom Menace. And it's on my site. It's this 123,000 word rewriting of The Phantom Menace story. And I don't I don't know how much of that you actually want to talk about because it's weird. But it, basically what I did was I took the story because I always sort of looked at The Phantom Menace as a movie of a book that you enjoyed that didn't quite capture it, sort of like a Stephen King movie, right? It's a great book, but it just didn't fully put it. So I created more of a political intrigue sort of version of the story um, and just for fun. And it just sort of got me back into writing and writing for the enjoyment of it. Around that time, after I put it up on uh, on on a website to be downloaded for free by anybody crazy enough to want to download it, I got back into Twitter and got back into social media. And um, I actually went on Jason Ward's show and talked a little bit about um, about the book and just sort of talked a little bit about just Star Wars in general and just had so much fun just talking to Jason and Randy um, that I thought to myself, geez, maybe maybe this is something I could do. And so I'd started to meet so many interesting people through social media. Um, and one of the things that I loved doing, one of the things that I enjoyed most when I was with Star Wars Galaxy magazine was uh, interviewing fans and learning about different unique fan unique ways that fans got into star wars like for example there was this one guy who was uh he painted miniatures and it was he was a lawyer by day and then there was these two brothers in florida that built six foot x-wing models and or star destroyer models and so i loved getting to know people who had very interesting approaches to fandom and so it just naturally turned into the show which which has expanded and exploded much quicker and much more interestingly than i had even expected it to now, I do have to backtrack a little bit. This Phantom Menace novelization that, right. that you've written. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, in case you don't know, this Star Wars Galaxy magazine that I'm going on about, it's like mid to late 90s Correct. was its existence. Yep. Now, I love, Pete, that just you dove back into Star Wars fandom in possibly – the most 90s way possible, <laughs> That's probably which is writing 
a lot of words right. and posting them on a website. Right. That is peak <laughs> 90s fandom. Like, I don't know if you've gotten what the kids are up to these days, <laughs> but it's about 10 words max. Right. <laughs> and a GIF. Well, I created Send a logo tweet. and made it a flaming, rotating GIF with the logo for the book. So I think I was I was right on top of it. Uh, I'm... Um, I got a few people that I want to track down from that era, and like all the flaming were they flaming gifts? Was that, oh, those yeah. little animations? Like flaming, everybody's logo was flaming and or turning or. But were they yeah, gifts? Was that technology a gif on those nineties websites? Yes, back it was. in the day, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing stuff moving, anything on fire on a website, and I was just like, Whoa. <laughs> "This is a good website." But they, you know, it's funny. So to, to bring it back to that, though, what got me into Writing in the 90s was I had one of the very first Star Wars fan websites back in 1995, 96. Um, AngelCities.net slash 8275. Correct. Yep, 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 yep. And it was called Echo Base was the name of it. Although, as you said, it was, you know, it was geocities.com slash whatever, whatever, whatever. And um, it was one of the very first Star Wars fan websites. And it was it was a wild ride and it was what ended up sort of catapulting me into being able to 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 work with Steve Sansweet in Star Wars Galaxy but that website as you said you know totally 90s it was uh I I my only record of the website is I literally have it all printed out uh from my dot matrix printer probably and I have it in a binder that's just sort of sitting on a shelf somewhere because I didn't want to I didn't want to lose having what I had done at that time you have got all the characteristics of someone that goes out and, and yells at clouds. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I haven't done that. That's a, you're printing out websites. Well, that was the only way I was able to maintain it and keep it. Or I could that? have put it on big floppy disks. But hey, so what sort of stuff did you cover on Echo Base? <laughs> so- I'm, I'm fascinated to know, like, to try work out whether I ever went there or not. So Echo Base had um, – we had uh, little trivia. So I don't know how much of this story you want and how much you want to edit out. But so I ended up getting involved. I, so a couple steps before that. So like let's say 92, 93, uh, my dad – so just to, to add to the the completely uh, insane sort of dating myself part of this story, my dad and his friends were big science fiction and horror trivia people like they were like that's what got me into star wars was my dad took me and i remember watching godzilla movies on tv and um and so he and his friends decided to create a science fiction and horror trivia game and it was a board game right so again 1990 whatever um and perfect timing just as board games were completely dying out they launched a board game uh but they wanted somebody to write they wanted one of their categories was star wars questions and my dad knew that nobody knew star wars as well as me uh that he knew and so i wrote like 200 star wars questions so i wrote these star wars questions and as part of their marketing plan they had a newsletter that went out and i would write these occasional articles for their newsletter about Star Wars. And so I created my website initially, this Echo Base, to sort of put up my writing. You know, it was one thing, you know, 1995, 96, the web was really, it was like so brand new. There was really not a lot, um, 
not a lot out there. I mean, the fact that I was the first one of the first Star Wars websites tells you where we were at that time. And so I was posting a lot of my articles, which were sort of like, you know, one was about uh, um, a friend of mine's nephew who was just discovering Star Wars. One was sort of Star Wars versus Star Trek, that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> which I, look, I was making trouble more, in 1995. More 90s action there. <laughs> Dude, I I, uh, I I might be the poster child for '90s Star Wars. I could be. That could be me. The um, <laughs> I, I love the the '90s Star Wars Star Trek battle mm-hmm. before Star Wars for like Star Wars fans realize they could argue amongst themselves. <laughs> That's true. Hey, right, wait. That- hey, wait. We can hate each other. <laughs> we don't have to waste our time with this entirely already established franchise. Let's beat ourselves up. Take that, yeah. Spock. You dork. <laughs> nice ears. <laughs> I want fake so, ears. I want them outwards and green. Come on. Right. So that's that's where that was. So the, And so what I was covering was uh, – well, there wasn't a lot to cover um, as you can imagine. But the, um, the biggest thing that was happening was Shadows of the Empire actually. And so one of the very first things – I thought you said the there first- wasn't much to cover. Well, that's well. That's this is the right. multimedia event of the '90s, buddy. It's true. It was it was very important, um, but it was the only thing happening, right? Because you had that was the there was no yet rumors. I mean, there were rumors of the um, special editions, but this was that first foray back in. And in fact, one of the one of the things I did on my site was I had an interview with Steve Perry, who, who of course wrote the novel, and. Um, it was a horrible interview, absolutely horrible. I, again, it's in my printed binder, and so I, I've, I've gone back and read it and, and embarrassed myself by reading it. But it was that was what was happening. Was, was I, I think Steve Perry said the same thing about several parts of Shadows of the Empire as well. <laughs> that Shizor Princess Leia bit, I remember being like in the nineties. If I'd read something that was Star Wars, I wasn't in a position to judge if it was good or not. Right. It was Star Wars. So I just thought, because it had that brand, it was good. Do you know what I mean? And I remember reading parts of that Shizor thing when he's letting off pheromones and Princess Leia's getting all drunk and just like, yeah, I don't know, man. This this doesn't seem Star Wars to me. This seems kind of sketchy. It's a little little questionable, yeah. Interesting choices, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, so that was so that was what was going on there, and I you know I'd run trivia contests, which because of course, um, I, I guess I assumed people weren't going to look up the answers and and perhaps send them in. You know, I, I trusted people. I guess you could trust people at the time, <laughs> but um, uh, foolish, foolish times. Uh, but that so so that was yeah, it was this fun little website, and then um, what ended up happening was there was. Um, because there wasn't a lot of Star Wars uh, out on the web in 1995, um, uh, hard to imagine. Um, at that same time, Steve Sansweet was going around doing um, sort of – he was going to Star Trek conventions because, of course, this was pre-Star Wars conventions. Um, and he was talking about the Star Wars special editions. And he was, you know, he was doing a slideshow and he was bringing some, some video of some of the work in progress. And since that was all the Star Wars we had as as Star Wars fans, other than, of course, Shadows of the Empire, um, people were reaching out to my website, believing it was affiliated somehow with Lucasfilm, and um, reaching out to me and asking where Steve was going to be, which conferences, uh, congresses and con- uh, 
uh, which uh, con- you know what I mean? Con- conventions. That's the word I'm looking for. Dude, yeah. So anyway, so all that 90s, it's starting to catch up to me. Um, so people were reaching out to me trying to find out where he was going to be. And um, and so I called Lucasfilm to just get his itinerary, uh, assuming they would just email it over to me and just say, this is where he is. You can put him on. So I called Lucasfilm. Um, somebody picks up the phone and I said, hey, uh, I have a, a website and I'm trying to uh, get Steve Sansweet's itinerary so we can – tell people who are interested where they can find them. They put me on hold, and um, about two to five minutes later, the phone's picked up, and it's Steve Sansweet, which blew me away because I had all his books, right? Uh, I'm sure you did too in the 90s, Every everything that he did. No, no the Bible. Didn't. No, no. The, oh, okay. the, like, <laughs> that, that, that concept screen to collectible oh, like, yep. like changed my life. Like yep. it, it was like a handbook on his – Here's what you should be into. Here's the yeah. little in things, the little – it was – I feel bad. I feel like I should have paid a lot more for it. Like <laughs> it, like in the end, like sometimes I see it in a secondhand bookshop and I'm like, I should probably oh. just buy that again. <laughs> yeah. it, it was It was like I couldn't believe that a book like that was made. Like now like pop culture books right. are, you know – Everything's got a pop culture book. Sure. But I remember seeing that and, of course, no knowledge of it coming out. Just walking into the comic book shop in the city, which was an hour and a half, like, drive, and just going – like, there was a Star Wars section and I felt like I owned everything in that section because it was so small and I was at, you know, one of my heights of disposable income. And so it was like – this book and I was just I just couldn't believe something like that cool existed with all that information in it and oh, I yeah. just read it and read it and read it so like yep. and then I named the website Reddit <laughs> well, very good I'm impressed mm. <laughs> uh, well so yeah I mean yeah the, the, the photographs everything about that book is just it, it was it was like a, a it was like you said, the Bible. It was it was like this magical book. So they put me on hold, and Steve Sansweet picks up the phone, and I was shocked. Like I didn't expect to speak to him. I just expected I would call. They would they would uh, put me, you know, send me what I needed, and, and we'd go from there. But so I start talking to Steve, and and after a few minutes, he, you know, he's like, "So tell me about this website, and what are you doing, and why do you do it?" And after a couple minutes, I explained to him just sort of the story I just told you about, you know, writing these uh these these sort of perspectives on star wars and um he said listen i am working at you know the stuff i'm doing for star wars galaxy magazine is is too much there's too much going on i could use some help send me some samples of your stuff if it's good uh i'm sure i could find things for you to write and you know of course i i freaked out i you know next day overnighted all my uh all my my printouts <laughs> And sent him uh, FedEx to him, and he read him on a plane on his way to uh, do the QVC show, just outside ah. of Philadelphia. If you remember the QVC show, he used to do on a regular basis. And um, he gave me a call. He said, "These are these are good. Let's let's give you some some assignments." Very tight. And what was your first thing? The very first thing I did was I covered the um, the. New Jersey premiere of the IMAX film Special Effects, which was by Tim Burton, uh, not Tim Burton, Ben Burt, not Tim Burton at all, uh, Ben Burt, um, 
<laughs> but uh, so Ben, so in New Jersey, they were doing the world premiere of the uh, of the film uh, because we had this really cool sort of uh, dome IMAX, and um, Ben Burt was going to be there, and so I went to the event, uh, saw the film. My very first interview for Star Wars Galaxy included uh, talking to the sound effects maestro himself, and um, I put together this sort of 150 word little blurb in uh, Star Wars Galaxy. I proved that I could deliver on time and usable work, and uh, and from there it, uh, it 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 blossomed to over the next couple of years. And you translated these beeps perfectly. Oh, it was amazing how uh, I could take those beeps and make them into. Uh, to real words. <laughs> now, I never saw that special effects film. What was it actually called? It was called it was called Special Effects. Um, a very creative title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I remember it had a redone version of the yeah. Star Destroyer flyover or something. And yeah, but that that was sort of the um, that was the appeal uh, to Star Wars fans was that they they did an IMAX version, a reshoot of that opening sequence from A New Hope. Yeah. And this is the thing. I remember hearing about that and just like going, I wish I could see that. That would, that's my Star Wars dream is to see this same thing reshot on a bigger screen. That was as good as it was going to get. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild. Yeah. And, And what was cool to me was just, you know, First of all, the film was was pretty cool, uh, but second of all was was just getting to meet Ben Burt because as a Star Wars nerd my entire life, Ben, you know, he was the guy. Like as you know, I grew up a fan as much of how things were done as as I was of the films. You know, in fact, I just I just finished uh, tonight watching that uh, Imagineering um, thing on Disney Plus, that six part documentary, because I'm just so interested in what goes on behind the scenes and to to have had the opportunity to not only watch the special effects film, because it was about special effects and what went into creating the scenes, but it was directed by Ben and to be able to meet him was was just like that was pretty wild for me. Especially, you know, my one of my first things to, to actually cover in any form for, for Star Wars. Now, there was Star Wars Galaxy magazine. And yep. then there was a Star Wars Insider. Yep. And Star Wars Insider was published by the fan club at that time. I believe so. Yep, it was uh, Dan Madsen and Scott Chernoff. Yep, and it, or I think it was originally like the Lucasfilm magazine or the original was it Lucasfilm fan club magazine? Yeah, I think. Well, I think it was originally yeah the Lucasfilm fan club, and then it became the well actually it started as the Star Wars fan club if I remember what Dan told me. It started as the Star Wars fan club, and then. Uh, when Star Wars sort of went underground because it had sort of disappeared and they were focusing more on things like um, Willow and um, Tucker in his dreams, Tucker, which, you know, massive, successful film. Uh, but it became the Lucasfilm fan uh, magazine. And that's uh, when, when Star Wars Insider um, came out after it was the Lucasfilm magazine. Yeah, because I remember getting the Lucasfilm magazine. I think I got the Tucker cover and just like, mm-hmm. who are you trying to kid? Lucasfilm magazine. <laughs> Put Han Solo on the cover. Hey kids, want to see a movie about a failed automaker? The um, but then so then there was this Star Wars Galaxy magazine, and that was published by Tops that do right. the cards even to to today. Yep. And the name Star Wars Galaxy was also the name of this 
sort of at the time I found a little bit of a bizarre trading card. Like it was during the trading card boom, like all the NBA and all the upper deck and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And so one of the, probably the only Star Wars thing you could buy in my town easily. Yeah. Easily the only Star Wars thing you could buy in my town was the Star Wars Galaxy trading cards. Because we had, we were in the middle of the trading guard boom. Right. Our town, which it did have a McDonald's by that time, but trading cards were so big, we had three trading card shops. Wow. Surely now, I'm about to go back next week. I, I, I would guarantee that all those locations are now like vaping stores or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the current sort of cash-in thing. But I wasn't really a trading card person, but because it was the only... Like, I just wanted the thrill of handing over currency for Star Wars items. Right. So I was just like, i got to keep buying these cards. Got to keep buying them. Then they came out with this magazine. I was thrilled... It seemed I always liked it more than the insider because the insider always just seemed like it was an extension of whatever was getting advertised in the first ten pages. Yeah, yeah. but they'd, they'd advertise some, you know, whatever it was, like a chess set or something, some riveting yep. bit of licensing in the nineties, right. yep. and then there'd be a four-page article about how this chess set's like the greatest thing ever, and I'm just like, I don't like. I know everything in this, like everything, every product you're going to talk about is the best thing ever, you know, because it's like, it's just an, like you're buying an advertising magazine, Star Wars Galaxy magazine. I always felt like it, it sort of, I don't know, it sort of delved into things in a bit more of an interesting manner. Of course they did. I think it was a sand suite article, but when they did that article about all the prototypes for pitched Kenner toys in 1985. Mm-hmm. And there was all these kit bashed. Um, I think there was an ad at that the chassis was taken off the back and there was a cannon stuck on. And yep. there was the, the squid head with the head stuck upside down. And it was a Mongo beef tribesman, I think <laughs> it was called. But it just seemed to have more like juicy articles apart from sort of like the advertorial of um of the, of the insider and and, and yeah. still today it's sort of like i don't know i just can't sort of gather the interest in reading the insider cuz it's like everything's cr- like it's no i don't know it it just yeah, well, doesn't well yeah coming from from the fan club or from you know especially coming specifically from lucasfilm you're right it is very much uh um it's not it's not putting a critical eye on anything let's put it that way but it was interesting because star wars galaxy magazine the two of the issues uh that i was a part of i was the 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 uh managing actually uh two maybe three of them i was the managing editor of the at the front there were usually two two to four pages of merchandise specific information so um in fact that's where the the name of my um my podcast comes from because i ran i ran a the section called Around the Galaxy, which was uh, generally 
some some of the news, which was often very heavily related to the toys and the merchandise that was coming out. But then the rest of the magazine would be things like, you know, an interview with one of the the filmmakers or a dip into the archives and then some of the fan sort of stuff that I was doing. And then, you know, weird stuff from the role playing game and some comic book stuff. So it was it was like a a very sort of well-rounded approach to whatever was happening in Star Wars at the time uh, versus, you know, go in and check out this this high profile, glossy thing. You're right. I mean, the ch- it's funny you say the chess set because I I invested in that chess set from um, who was it? It was uh, um, I don't know. One of these one of these collectibles like the Franklin Mint or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, twice every two months you would get two pewter pieces or something. Well, I just. I didn't really understand the logic behind it. Right. So you'd read like the Insider or, or Galaxy Magazine or whatever. And like I wanted figures. Yeah. Because yeah. they're the best, right? Mm-hmm. Page after page, issue after issue, advertisements for commemorative plates. <laughs> I don't want your plates. It's true. It's Why, very wait, true. What do I. Like there's this plate with like the Millennium Falcon going through an asteroid field for like sixty bucks. It's like what? But it was a collectible, man. It was collectible. <laughs> it was the the collectibles were so like they were like if my grandma was into Star Wars, the things she'd want. <laughs> like Hummel figures of <laughs> I don't know if they had the Hummel. And then when they finally brought out figures, they were those bendums, and that was just like just uh, throwing yeah. vinegar in my eye. It was like, here's what you want, and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> We've made the worst possible versions. Yeah. Right. If it, you're looking for figures, do you want crappy ones? Because we got the <laughs> we, Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do have them. I remember standing in the Kmart in my hometown just looking at them, just like going, what is happening? Like, <laughs> I, just, I, I was like, surely they know... I want joints. I don't want Gumby figures. <laughs> right. But linking it in, those figures did come with a Topps Star Wars Galaxy trading card in the back. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, well, it was, uh, I, I, it was almost like they were trying to rediscover what collecting was going to be in a way, I think. Because there was, you know, there was, there was the trading cards. There was also, I don't know if you remember the, um, the, the, the sort of Magic the Gathering kind of Star Wars card playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, I can't recall exactly what that was. And then, you know, so there was there was sort of this re-entry uh, back into, um, into Star Wars. And that was, you know, right around the special editions. And then, of course, you at that same time, Power of the Force action figures came out with all the sort of reissuing of every single character in the more muscular form or a slightly varied um some of them looked great and some of them did not look great but man the power of the force figures were were huge at that time it kind of looks like now in the wwe the wrestling that those figures are done by mattel and quite often they'll do like crossover like they'll so they'll do like wwe crossed over with ninja turtles or i think they're doing a he-man one but those first power of the force figures look like that it was Star Wars, like, and, and Vince McMahon was in cahoots. And he'd, <laughs> right. he'd, he'd given them all jabs in the tuckus to beef them up a little bit. <laughs> right. And they, they were pumping. I always loved 
that Lando's abs were so defined <laughs> that they showed through his like flowing silk shirt or whatever that was. That is right, his puffy blouse. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is some power abs, man. Right, right. Hey, um, you were saying that you covered the Phantom Menace premiere in New York City. That that must have been for the Insider, yeah. Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever do the Galaxy magazine once it changed to Star Wars Galaxy Collector? No, that was uh, that was after – it was shortly after I stopped working with them. But, yeah, that was – you're right. That was sort of the evolution, which kind of made sense because the magazine did do a little bit of looking back more than forward sometimes. So The um, – I remember they had – I don't know if it was in that one or, or your one, but they had like – it was it was just loose. Like they had like an article on Gus Lopez and oh yeah, yep. It was it was it seemed like it was a bit like free of the shackles of sort of infotainment or advertorial sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so I spoke. I had spoken to to Gus Lopez a couple times, and um, yeah, I was saying before I think we got on there was there was an article that I wrote. It's very strange, and in fact, I think after I get off with you, I'm gonna have to see if I can find either the article or see if I just don't have the issue, but I had written an article where um, it was an interview with somebody who, uh, and the reason I remember, because I think I was talking to Gus around the same time, um, this woman who collected, like, Ewoks, she had hundreds of Ewoks, uh, different, you know, plush ones and action figures, and that was was her thing, and uh, I remember submitting the article, but I can't find it anywhere, so... Uh, that has very little to do with your question other than the, the, the Gus Lopez name kind of triggered it for me. Yeah, but it was cool that, like, it was sort of like anything goes. So what was, the, the, the like, the process of articles? Were you getting assigned stuff? Were you pitching? How did that work? Yeah, so what ended up happening, because Steve Sansweet was the head of fan relations at Lucasfilm, and, of course, he, just by his nature, Steve knows a new everybody so there was usually he would he would call me and say hey they're uh call bob lipman bob lipman's a an attorney that collects uh and and builds star wars miniatures i think that would be a good a good article so there was that i i don't think i pitched i did pitch one actually it was actually the one with the um these two brothers from uh florida i met at a convention who built these sort of six foot star destroyers and gigantic capital ships and we just i remember that you remember that well good yeah 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 yeah. well this is the thing everyone has to understand this magazine would come out four times a year i think yep and same with the star wars insider that was your internet right for three months so i may may have gone back and and reread each issue Many times. <laughs> that's funny. So, I, that, that's the way that those pieces would work. I was, um, and interestingly, so for the, um, I don't know how interesting it is. It's always dangerous to lead a sentence with interestingly. Um, but the, try, try, try. In, in, it was quite fascinating. <laughs> it, was, it was quite fascinating to me too. Um, <laughs> Just oversell but, it. <laughs> All the merchandise sections that I did, um, I think people thought that I was just sent these piles of merchandise and I would I would read about them and I would play with them and I would write about them. But the reality is on uh, I was uh, usually given photos and press releases on or or spec sheets 
on the products versus them being sent to me because oftentimes they would hit either at the same time as the uh, magazine or uh, it, shortly thereafter. So a lot of times I wasn't able to actually uh, have access. Okay, to, well, uh, you should have started with instead of interestingly, <laughs> should have said depressingly. Right. In a horribly disappointing turn of events. <laughs> in, the, in the blandest, like, I think you're working at, like, the Wonka factory. <laughs> and you're just in this beige cubicle. Yes. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly it. <laughs> but is- I did get to go to, like, I... I I got to go to the ranch. I got to go. I was one of an early guest at Rancho Obi-Wan. And so I did all for all the lack of piles of toys that I would have liked. um, I did have some amazing experience. All right. There's there's one thing that we don't do on this podcast. I'm not sure how you run your ship over there, Pete. Right. It's it's a much looser ship, I think. Okay. We don't let someone mention they went to the ranch. (laughs) And not get details. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm trying to compile all the reasons why people got in there. And then right. if I can ever see an angle to use one of those reasons, I'm in. All right. So I'll tell you that story. So that was this was a lot of fun. This was um, – I was out there for uh, doing a corporate gig in San Francisco and um, I'd reached out to Steve and I said, uh, hey, I'm going to be in town want to get together for lunch he said i'll tell you what why don't you come up to the ranch and what am i going to say no <laughs> has anybody ever said you know what no i'm gonna pass I'm gonna i pass. um i actually know of um there's a, there's a kfc near the airport if we can just meet there instead <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> much better i feel i i yeah i feel like that would be more conducive to discuss business it would be to talk. no so anyway so so he said come on up to oh, the oh wait wait i just have to jump in i once went to <laughs> This is so dumb. I don't even know how this bounced into my head. I went to Petaluma to visit Steve at Rancho Obi-Wan to get the tour and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's on the way to Skywalker Ranch. Right. And I went, I don't, we, some reason we went through McDonald's drive through. And I was like, I wonder what Star Wars actors have been through this drive through on the way to Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> I bet you. I bet you some of them have. I bet you, like, Rick McCollum got a couple quarter pounders here one night and just slammed them. Continue. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. So um, yeah, feel free to, to edit this story down as much as you like. But um, so, yeah, so I, I was in San Francisco, like I said, for, for – for a corporate gig, I rented a car, and I remember going to the the um, the car rental place, and then telling me that the car that I was supposed to rent was not available. So I'm panicking. All of a sudden, this opportunity to drive to the ranch is disappearing before my eyes. It's starting to evaporate because the car is not available for me. And they're like, "I'll tell you what, we can we can give you all we have is a uh, is a Mustang convertible." I thought you were going to say motorbike, and I was going to go, yes, perfect. (laughs) No, so I had to – it was unfortunate, but I had to drive a Mustang convertible uh, up – up the uh, up the the freeway to get to uh, to the ranch. So that was that was a little a little 
probably uh, uh, more interesting to me than anybody else. They, they probably was, would have thought it was Rick McCollum when you got there. <laughs> if I was if I was swearing and, and yelling at people. <laughs> Oh, Rick's here. So anyway, so I get there. First of all, it was very hard to find the entrance to the ranch because it was incredibly nondescript. And I pulled in and I, I find the, the place. And, and, your, and your ways wasn't working. <laughs> right. Didn't yeah, start working it, for another 15 it, years. Right. <laughs> the yeah, thing. In, in 1995, I was holding a piece of paper that I probably printed out from a website <laughs> with directions. <laughs> Dude, you that's must have, the, you must have spent a fortune on ink. I killed so many trees. That's the theme of this episode. Steel is <laughs> is that the nineties are the reason we, we have environmental problems because that, of all the websites we had to print out. That that little flame gif on your website signified all the paper you were wasting. <laughs> this website fueled by paper. <laughs> I I don't know if people don't even understand what that what we're talking about like <laughs> the flaming I, gif yeah, yeah so in the 80, 90s not the 80s <laughs> close there was all these basic animations that people had code for and they would use them flagrantly maybe would be the what like they just overuse them because Completely they could them, yeah. yeah so every every link like was on fire because right. we could it was oh, very yeah. dangerous. Like, whenever I had a new link on my website, I put two little like fireballs next to it that were flaming. And oh yeah, my website was so old. How old was it? It was so <laughs> old that I <laughs> that I had a uh, a counter at the bottom. Remember the visitor yes. counter at the bottom of the page? Yeah. Well, I you know what? I feel like as soon as I'm done with this interview, I'm gonna have to go check myself into an old age home. I am feeling incredibly old. Sorry, dude. <laughs> they actually did. Um, who was it for? Captain Marvel. They did a '90s website yeah. for Captain Marvel, which um, was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was cool. I, I might have to change my Around the Galaxy website to be all '90s. Nice. Like, yeah. Go all in. I'll go all in. Um, dash render all the time. That's how I'd like it. <laughs> all right. So you're pulling right. up, like, so I pull, pardon pull my up. language, a total arsehole in a convertible. Right. And uh, <laughs> what's going on? So I get uh, Steve meets me and... Uh, the security the searches the car for cocaine. <laughs> Turns out none was left. Okay. So I... I um, yeah, so I go, I go in. He starts, he starts walking me around. He shows me, you know, to to where his office is. And there were there were two highlights. And again, these are total nerd highlights. One was, um, and I don't, of course, I haven't been to the ranch. Pete, in, Pete, we're on a Star Wars podcast, mate. <laughs> yeah, right. If you're if you've gotten this far into the podcast, oh, nothing what, is off limits. <laughs> what a what a nerdy highlight of visiting the Skywalker Ranch. What a nerd. Get what back to talking nerd. about the, <laughs> the Shadows of the Empire media event. Nerd. Get back to your flaming gifts. Yeah. Um, Talk about the cool stuff. You're right. I, I agree. You're right. So uh, I don't know what it's like on the ranch now. I imagine it's quite different. But um, there was only one section of the uh, of the ranch that had actual movie props and it was like a little alcove a little sort of breezeway between one room and and the the main entrance and um 
it, the, the ones that that I remember seeing, there was a um, there was a walker, one of the miniature walkers that was used. Um, there was a, um, I think it was, um, I think it was one of the the snow speeders. But the thing that stood out to me the most, and the one that I can see clearly still in my head, was the idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark, the little golden fertility idol. Mm. That because it was such a piece of crap. It was like a piece of wood painted gold and all chipped up. and But it was so cool to just see that sitting right right there, which was – so that was that was a really cool highlight. Um, the idol was made of wood. Yeah, at least at least this particular one was. Yeah, it was uh, from the film, yep. Wow. So they, I guess they, they sculpted it out of a bit of wood and then painted it gold. And then painted it gold, yep. Never would yep. have guessed it. You'd think that just – like just pouring metal into like you, you, you like there's got to be an easier way. But oh, but you got to think like what was it? 1980, 1980? Was that when Raiders was eighty one? Something like that. Was it, it was you know things were a little bit different. I guess props were your hero props were a little bit different than they were hmm. now. Maybe. So that means yeah. when Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, like picked up the idol that's why he didn't have the sand the right thing because he thought it was made out of gold that's exactly it and right? that's like, why it sunk exactly he looked at it he like you and i thought oh that's 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 got to be solid gold yeah and, and but nope just wood just idiot wood. idiot <laughs> you would think with all that research he would have known right mm, mm, mm. i don't know mm. you know it's not often that a, a golden idol gives you a splinter but here we are. <laughs> hey, with the ranch, right? So I was um, fortunate enough to go to Lucasfilm at the Presidio, and I was sort of taken aback at how vast a lot of people work there. Like, you know, there's, there's like, I went to the bathroom and struggled to find my way back to where I was meant to be. Didn't care that much, mind you, because I was like, oh, this is a sweet place to be lost in. But the actual ranch, like how many people were like were there offices there? Were people like working there? Yeah, there there was a number of offices. There was the because uh, of course THX is also there, so you had the uh, uh Skywalker Sound um studios and yeah, there were there was a couple hallways where you would walk through and there were there were people you know, sort of in uh, in offices and cubicles and and doing work and you know one of one of the other things that struck me was um, um, we went to lunch in the sort of the the, the cafeteria area and um, and um, Steve asked me if uh, he's like would you mind if uh, if uh, this this guy joined us he's um, he's the guy who runs R two D two and I was like it's Don B's like I was I was that level there so I knew who it was I was like absolutely and so that was cool just kind of sitting in the, the cafeteria and those guys are just walking around and working. The the second highlight that I, I alluded to, not that Don B's isn't a highlight, right? So maybe that's like two B. The second one was when we were walking into the two one B Star Wars podcast. Two, uh, right. That's so, that's incredibly nerdy. That's sorry. very nerdy. Maybe people nerdy. people love it when you repeat things that were in the film I've found. <laughs> that's yeah. all right. Well so uh, after meeting the R two D two operator R2-D2 was in the film, so I don't know if you recall. He was the little blue and white robot. 
for those. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this deal. Feel free uh, to. I, I would have said white and blue, but you know, whatever. All right, whatever. Yeah, we all got our thing. We look at things differently. So anyway, so we, we're walking through and we're near the the main staircase, and um, I hear somebody calling Steve's name, and um, walking down the stairs is Rick McCollum, the very the Rick McCollum. And the highlight wait, 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 to me is wait, 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 wait. Well, let's, oh, <laughs> let's a savor the, the, the turn. Like yeah. I, I wish we'd videoed this because how was my reaction when you mentioned who it was? <laughs> you, you were you were like you were uh, would you say perhaps uh, uh, flabbergasted? Maybe I, I or was, I was enthused. God? I can tell you that much. <laughs> I started waving my hand around just trying to yeah. deal with this information yeah. because I've. Got, <laughs> In my head, the stairway, there's this film with Freddie Prince Jr., Kanan himself. So, Star Wars reference, everyone. Another Star Wars reference. She's all that. She's all that. And Rachel Lee Cook is a nerd that, through the power of removing her spectacles, becomes pretty much like a supermodel. Right. Um, I, I found her very pretty with the glasses and without. Anyway, she comes down the stairs and I think maybe kiss me. Yeah, one of those like 90s songs comes on <laughs> from the Dawson's Creek soundtrack. And that's instantly, I've sort of got an image of Rick McCullum coming down in a ball gown <laughs> while kiss me comes on. I love Rick. Now, t- let's let's so we so we'll save it. Rick McCollum has entered the story, thus making right. it the the, the like, yeah, before you started telling this story. You said, "Oh, just edit what you want out of this," and it's like <laughs> I'm not editing anything out of some sweet McCollum content. This is gold. Well, the problem is now this story will never end as well. It's it's much like people's expectations going into Rise of Skywalker. It can never live up. To that expectation, but I will do my best. Ah, oh, okay. My expectation is just that this story is going to make sense with the last story you told. <laughs> How about that? No, none of them. In, are you enjoying none this metaphor? Very deep. I, I just, yeah, I just random, randomly ramble. No, so uh, Rick is coming down the stairs and he calls to Steve and he apologizes to me for interrupting, which was, so that's the highlight to me. At one point in my life, Rick McCullum was afraid he was being rude. To me, some random guest in the ranch. He calls Steve over. What a gentleman! What a gentleman! It was it was quite quite the nice guy. Um, I don't know exactly what they were talking about, but I do recall hearing Rick dropping f bombs as he did over and over and over. And he was you know that very. It was so cool, honestly, to just be in the room with Rick. I mean, I, I think you and I may have talked about this at one point. Was the if you remember the. Um, what was that CD-ROM series that came out in the lead-up to Phantom Menace and the sequel, the prequels? But just just seeing him in action it, with that very chill voice that he's got, and just but he was pissed about something, and he was he was telling Steve that they had to do something, and he was dropping f bombs, uh, and then uh, excused himself one more time, apologized to me one more time for interrupting, and walked back up the stairs, and allegedly. George Lucas was in that meeting with him upstairs, although I don't know for sure. Steve made a reference to it, but that's uh, – I like in my heart to know that perhaps George Lucas was in the building when I was there at the same time. Not only that, he sent his like – his henchmen 
Right. Down. Never sent his Vader down to come. D- down to <laughs> Sansweet to swear at him. Go give him a few F words. A few F bombs. <laughs> so that was uh that was the that was one of the, the major highlights. But that was you know, that was you know, other things I remember um at the time that um um you know, we got to he we were they were just I think they were just planting the vineyards or they were just beginning to to um to make wine available from there or something. I remember seeing um, the fields, uh, the, the vineyards up and down the mountain outside there. And one of the, one of the other things was Steve wanted to give me, uh, we went to the, uh, the THX theater uh, at Skywalker sound and Steve said he was going to, he wanted to give me a demonstration, uh, but he couldn't because James Cameron was finishing up the film that he was working on at the time, which was Titanic. So, it was pretty cool to, in hindsight, to have been there for that. Uh, that's, you know, a monumental day in entertainment yeah. history. You, you, you're seeing, <laughs> you're seeing Lucas send McCollum down, right, to, to, to swear at the dude that spent the most money on merchandise on his products, <laughs> right. And then you got Cameron up in the other place. He, he's he's doing the sound effects as um as Jack sinks helplessly to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> right. Yes, and and the wooden idol. I mean, it, it's it was a classic day. I mean, honestly, it was one of those things where you don't honestly realize how cool it is at the moment. You're like, you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm at the ranch, and then years later, you're like, I was at the ranch when Cameron was there, when Lucas was there, when McCullum was there, when you know Don Bees was still driving R two. <laughs> so it was just, it was a really amazing experience, and and probably. The, the highlight of my time uh, working working with uh, Star Wars Galaxy. What about the archives? Oh, I would have I, I would have killed to check those out. No go, no go, no go. I didn't it, honestly didn't ask. I was just kind of in awe of being there because later that that oh, we evening are, we are very yeah. different people. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I would have I would have. I, I honestly, I don't think I, it even stuck in my head. I was just like in awe of being on the grounds, you know. I would have been like, "Hey, I've got this convertible car. Do you have like a <laughs> an archive type area I could park it in?" <laughs> hey, because I've got friends from Australia that were involved with the fan club, um, with the Australian fan club, and when they went, they they, they were just open up boxes and trying stuff on. Like they were doing like a pretty woman, like clothing montage sort of thing. <laughs> it must be because they're Australian. They're much nicer to Australians than people from Jersey. I think. True. I think as the years went past the, they got like more and more sort of like, Hey, yeah, this, all well, this it, stuff in the yeah, boxes, it, we're going to keep. It could very well be when when they went because you know over the last twenty years they've you know now they they went from you know just sort of throwing stuff in some cardboard in somebody's attic to uh, uh, to now white gloving everything so yeah ah oh, right yeah I didn't even think about that they're trying on stuff they're going through boxes pulling out blasters and they, they were like finding they were like Don because Don Beast was the archivist right and they were sort of like they left them in the the archive fight two hours. They said, oh, I'll come back in a little bit. Yeah, and when he came back, he goes, fun. oh, we've been looking for that. 
and it's like, you know, like the Emperor's Cane or something. I went to Lucasfilm and I was doing a, a thing for TV on Solo and they had all the the weapons and stuff, like the Sabbat yeah. cards and, yeah, weren't allowed to touch them. Right. And right. then when I posted photos on Instagram, employees at Lucasfilm that I, like, would see later on were like, hey, did, did they let you touch that? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It just looked like it. But, um, yeah, times have changed. And now they're all going to be um, down in uh, in LA in a, in a yeah. big museum. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I can't wait to check that out. That's going to be pretty awesome. So um, it, it's sort of like I remember even when I went to Steve's, the Rancho Obi-Wan. Yeah. And while I was there just thinking like this is like – for the, every, like every time I think about this, I'm going to wish I was back. Like, so just say, just like yeah. keep looking around like milk, yep. milk, milk. <laughs> yeah. Steve was, and he was, you know, at the time he was just such a, he was such a, uh, an open and generous guy. He invited me, uh, because I think it was, it was very early in the, I don't know if it was even a, um, uh, 503C or whatever, uh, uh, the, the tax, title is for a um a museum yet but it was uh he had just opened up the first um uh the first giant museum piece and went over there had dinner at his house and we like the whole time i'm eating dinner with him and i'm just like come on let's get let, I, you know i quietly in my head screaming i want to go see all the stuff let's go let's go let's mm. go um but it was it was wild. I mean, it, it's such an amazing collection, and and I have to get back to to see it again because at the time it was just the one. I don't want to call it a hangar, but sort of you know big metal building, and now I think it's two. Right? I mean, it's it's expanded, and I think the correct term is coops. Coops. That's right, because it was from the there was the leading egg producing part of the country, right? Yeah. At one point, Petaluma. Yeah. 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 That place is. It's uh, it's pretty good. Hey, I'm looking at this um, Star Wars Galaxy magazine, the first one that you wrote on. Yeah. Ironically, it's got um, it looks like the return of the Emperor controlling a fleet of star destroyers. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's funny you say that because it was uh, well that was during the the Thrawn trilogy, right? Or the what was the Dark Empire, right? Yeah, I think this uh, is um. Yeah, it says exploring the dark side. Cam Kennedy and Cam Kennedy was, I think, the artist on. The, he was what he did. Some what, like, I oh don't no, cover cover artist Cam Kennedy. So yeah, he was the artist in. Um, right. I would always see the names on the comics and go, oh yeah, but not know who did what. Right. Right. Yeah. I I wouldn't know either. Yeah. It's um, and and I'm still that way with the comics. I would love to to get into them, but I just I just can't. I've tried. But uh, the Dark Emperor, I did get into very much. I really enjoyed that. But again, like you, I, I don't know who did what. I always remember they had um, thicker... The Dark Empire ones, for some reason, had a thicker cover. It was like a harder, like a, a better cardstock. And, and I also remember, as as we look at the, the cover here of the, the issue that I wrote in, that it was it did have that very green and blue... Like that color was so dominant throughout the series. It was I, the style was very that lots of green, lots of that sort of lime green. Yeah, it did have a real sort of 
greenish, trippy vibe about it. Like, it wasn't how I'd imagine a Star Wars comic would look. Right, right, right. But yep. I was in no position to um, to critique because it was Star <laughs> Wars and I got to buy right. it. It was so it was thrilling happy. to buy a Star Wars item at retail. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was also around the time like we were referencing before. The Power of the Force figures were, were starting to show up, and I remember walking around. And, and it was also a strange time, too, because um, – you know, there weren't. It was it was an odd thing to be an adult walking in the toy section and spending too much time there. <laughs> you know, it was it was a little odd. Uh, thank God I had a little. Uh, I had a friend of mine who had a who had a nephew, and I would I'd be able to uh, to use that as my excuse. But um, yeah, it was you know Star Wars action figures were just starting to come back, and you know when the Phantom Menace figures came out, that was the the first of the the midnight openings of Toys R Us and stores to to go grab all that stuff. Oh my god, the best! Now, when you think about it, it's weird to see a kid in the action figure aisle. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm not going to lie. When I walk into like uh, you know Walmart or Target and I see I see the the single gentleman standing there looking at the action figures, a little part of my brain is like. That guy needs to probably probably get out a little more, and then I go and I as soon as he leaves, I'm oh, do the same God. thing. <laughs> judgment. judgment. I'm a horrible judgment. Yeah, I'll, I'm a horrible human being. I'm the first to admit that. I never grew out of going into the toy aisle. Like yeah. I always, once I was past that age, I always wanted to just see what toys were getting made for some reason, and yeah. just like, oh, okay, this is what they're into. Interesting. Are you still collecting much? Or? Oh, no. 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 I I was like hardcore Power of the Force 2 onwards. I'm- like like every item they brought out owned. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Stormtroopers and especially Battle Droids, right. many items. And then Attack of the Clones came out. And the figures just, they seemed sort of like the wrists would always fall off. And there was a Tatooine Luke that came with the floppy hat. Right. And, you know, which was cool. Everyone loves the floppy hat from the deleted scene. But then I remembered that Malibu Stacy episode of The Simpsons where it's like, but it's got a new hat. <laughs> And when they brought out the figures, which they've never never been able to really do this in any toy line, but I thought like, oh, this is going to be the, the best version of this figure. Why wouldn't you just make a good one? Do you know what I mean? Right. And, and, and then once I just kept making like 15 Tatooine Lukes, I was just... And also my OCD of like having to buy them all and then just like, how do I display 15 Tatooine? Like, what is the point of this? <laughs> And then I was just like, all right, I'm done. You're annoying me. I can't trust you to make things not repetitive. And then I have to buy them because I've got like some emotional issue that I'm not ready to deal with. So I was just like, I'm selling it all and I'm just going to get the vintage ones because they're, uh, not, they're not making any more of them. And right. I find them a lot more satisfying to have. Although I um, – and so now I just collect stuff that's – I would never buy something out of obligation. I more buy things that I can attach to a memory. 
Right. So if there's a like a celebration or something or Comic Con, I want to get an exclusive so I can put that on my shelf and go, all right, that was that year I did this and and, and that sort of stuff. Yep. The what the one thing I do collect that I've got to help out, I've, I've got to sort of refresh my shelf a bit, is I love collecting things from Star Wars that I can't stand. <laughs> right. So I collect my least favourite things from my favourite thing. And then if I can sort of take ownership on those things, then <laughs> I'm in control. That's how I see it. <laughs> That's one way to do it, or or you're you're spending money on the least favorite part of your of this the, the film. Yeah, but I, I think it's fun. I, I think like that completionist thing, which I did love, right? I, but it's sort of, I think that leads to the most frustration because, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're kind of like addicted, and if they bring out stuff that you don't like, you have to right. buy it out of obligation and then but that sort of builds up a um a resentment do you know what i mean of like why are they making yeah. me buy this like i can see that yeah, yeah yeah what about you well so i i've i used to when i first one of the reasons one of the things that excited me about meeting and talking to steve sansweet in the 90s was i was i was a big action figure collector for for quite a while and then i kind of fell off a bit and now um Really, the only thing I collect, and but I collect differently than I used to. I I I'm a big fan, and I have a feeling you're probably not. But I'm a big fan of the Funko Pop stuff, and um, and I like those because I've been through. I didn't collect Beanie Babies, but I've seen Beanie Babies come and go, so I know that these will be worth absolutely nothing probably in the future. And so I like them because I can take them out of the box and put them on a shelf and display them and not panic that, oh, my God, it's untouchable. Like Black Series figures, I love the Black Series action figures, but at 20 to 30 bucks a pop, um, I don't want to take them out of the box. Whereas 8 to $12 of a Funko Pop, which, I again – they make them for everything and everybody. Um, I'm fairly confident that it's not going to be a, a major uh, investment loss. So I'm a big fan of those. And now that I have, you know, a seven-year-old son who's very actively uh, uh, and create very active and creative, we do the um, we do a lot of Lego stuff together, which is a lot of fun. The Legos, they're so sick. Oh, they're so much fun. They are. They're just. They're, they're, I don't know that you could have much more fun than, than doing that because it's, it's this really kind of cool thing of like it's the puzzle pieces but it's the creativity and it's the familiarity and it's, it's – there's just so much with it. I just love it. I love it. And I feel like the, the Lego figure size, right? I feel like that's a better size for making sweet vehicles. Right. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the Kenner, the three and a quarter, whatever it was, three and three quarters. Um, like that was a like an awesome action figure size. But I just feel like, and you could get good vehicles out of it. But right. to, to to go down that little bit more sort of just opens up the scope of like the type of things that that you can like produce like you know yeah. like bigger capital ships and stuff like that yeah but yeah they are pretty amazing but even like i started 
getting into the the SH figure arts, the Japanese, oh yeah, essentially like Japanese Black Series figures. Yep, and they're the best. They're, they're they're so good. But then they just started sort of bringing them out too much, and then right. I was like, I can't afford to keep up with this, and I I sort of don't have, I don't want to. Yeah. So then I was. So then yeah, I had to bail out and I sold them all except for I was like, I'm going to collect. So I, I need rules as well. Love rules. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just collect all the Luke Skywalker SH figure arts and I'll just have all the best versions ever made of, of all the different Luke Skywalker things. The only exception to that, which falls into another rule, is I kept my battle droid with C-3PO head. Right. And that sits, inverted commas, proudly on my worst moments in Star Wars shelf. <laughs> I would not disagree with you on that being a horrible moment in Star Wars history. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I, I, one of the things that's kind of cool about, about doing my podcast is all the really interesting people I meet and, and all the the different types of fandom. And it's really interesting that... Like you would think, and I think it was some uh, a road that was definitely open that I, I fortunately somehow worked around. Is you know you start to want to collect so many different things, and and you know as a you're you have a, a young child, I have a seven and a ten year old, and and it's easy to to get sucked into it, but you also just don't have any any room anymore, which is what, where I've come to is I want to only collect things. And I'm, you know, like uh, one of the things that I, I also have found that I'm collecting without intentionally is the, the black series helmets, like the, uh, the Vader helmet, the Stormtrooper oh, okay, helmet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like I could just sort of keep them in a corner and it's not a, it's not a big deal. But if I was still into the action figures and all the ships and all that stuff, there's just, there's like, you need, you definitely, you need a Steve sand style <laughs> coop setup to be able to keep it all because there's just and, and you have to determine what your line is and what you're where you're going to draw that line. Yeah, like if you've got like a basement or an attic or something and you can convert that into your like Star Wars room. Right. Amazing. But I was sort of like I like I didn't want to I don't I didn't want to be defined by Star Wars. Right. And before I started doing the podcast like people wouldn't know that I was even into Star Wars because it's just not like you know I wasn't wearing t-shirts or because I didn't like the t-shirts weren't the sort of t-shirts I would want to wear and you know I wouldn't have my opening line about Star Wars or whatever and even in my house I always wanted to make it so there was you could look around and not see Star Wars stuff in there was just like one room that had star wars stuff and then other rooms you, you couldn't even see it sort of thing right so yeah. i i like having it you know unless i did have like a crazy office or something that i could put it all up in. I, I sort of like having it in a concise little area and it's neat and each thing's got like a story and yeah i've got my collection of not originally, but I, I i sort of put it together like all the original figures which was sort of like a childhood dream Right, is to have right. all those figures on the back of the card. But then just dumb stuff like I, I went to where they filmed Dequa in uh-huh. London 
and I was like, like resistance base. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, got to got to take home some rocks from here. This is a planet. <laughs> like just dumb stuff. Like I love dumb stuff that it's sort of, but it makes it more unique when people come around and you're like, um, what, what are those rocks? And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> they're from Decoir. Um, did you keep all like the magazines that you wrote in and stuff? Did you archive yeah. all that stuff? Yeah. So I have a, you know, because it has to go with my uh, my binder from my website. I have um, I have a, I have a couple copies of each of of the magazines that I wrote in. I have um, one of the the prized possessions is I have a um, I think it was the second epi- uh, the second issue that I had uh, written in. What a Star Wars fan calling a magazine an episode. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're no fake fan. I believe it's episode IX. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but with th- that issue, it's, uh, it's signed by Peter Mayhew and actually like um, uh, Carolyn Blackiston, who of course was, um, uh, can't say of course, and then say, um, can you, Mon Mothma. Um, ah, uh, a couple others, like a handful of different uh, Star Wars celebrities uh, that I've had a chance to meet, uh, Anthony Daniels and Billy uh, uh, Billy D. Williams, and a handful of others. But um, so that's kind of cool. But yeah, I have all the I have all the issues. I have, why did uh, you get that one? Which one? Why did you get like I, I'm looking at what I think that cover is. Oh, it just and happened it's, to it's be Luke, the one that Luke yeah, Skywalker with a thermal detonator in front of Shizor for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Actually, you know, it's not the that one. It's the the episode. It's episode. There it is again. Damn it! It's issue ten. It's the one with Han Solo fighting a gigantic otter. <laughs> <laughs> and the the reason it's that one is because I think I started on that one. I happened to have had it was right after that issue came out, and I happened to run into one of the ah. people who signed it, and. And then I just had to keep putting them on that one. It was but, a special uh, edition spectacular, mind you. It was spectacular. It was pretty spectacular. It is so odd. Like, I don't want to go back and, and backseat uh, edit this magazine. <laughs> but so it's Star Wars Galaxy magazine, issue 10. It's their special edition spectacular. In the corner, they've got a photo of Han talking to CGI Jabba the Hutt. Right. But then the cover image is this painted by Joe Jusco of, of Han in a punch-up, it looks like, in a, in a right. fisticuff fight with a giant otter. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I, I do see myself as a, you know, I, 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 I do like to talk about marketing and stuff. It seems like to me what might move a few more magazines is if you got <laughs> the artist to actually paint Jabba the Hutt, the the thing that everyone wants to know about in A New Hope, talking to Han Solo. I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm remembering it wrong, and you can clarify that, you know, what year was this? 1997, January 1997. We're all fueled by giant otter fever. And this otter is not just any giant otter. He's decked out with some of the most flamboyant jewellery. Oh yeah, he's got it. He's got it going on there. But you know, maybe that was why they went that route. They were like, you know what? What would be stopping powder? Everybody's going to have, you know, <laughs> some sort of Star Wars special. Nobody would consider a magazine cover of Han Solo fighting a bedazzled otter. Oh my stars! He's really <laughs> laying it in as well. That is just people forget how 
wild. That's like with, um, you know, the rise of Skywalker and how, like, it's so odd. Like, people that just want to, they're just like anti-Disney, so they're just going to complain about stuff. But they complain about, the like, the clones of Palpatine and all that. And it's like, dude, this is from all the stuff that you complained about right. getting deleted. There's so much bizarre stuff in yeah. in the the EU of like how do you get like there's a giant otter that's with jewelry that's getting in punch-ups with intergalactic drug dealers it is very <laughs> bizarre very bizarre if you'd like to support the ongoing production of Steel Wars and also get bonus content, please consider checking out the Steel Wars Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars, where you get weekly bonus episodes piling up with over 600 back episodes waiting for you to listen for just $3 a month. And this week, the Patreon feed is buzzing with the last episode of the Robbo Report with an episode some are calling our best Steel Wars of all time. As our friend Robbo grippingly retells his story of taking his family to Disney's Galaxy's Edge. It is an emotional roller coaster with an ending that will not soon be forgotten. So check that out along with all the bonus content at patreon.com forward slash steel wars. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How did you cross over to the Insider? Were you poached? Why did you stop writing for Star Wars Galaxy? Uh, no, it was, um, it was actually, um, an opportunity. I was going, I, I was going to the premiere of, uh, in New York of, of Phantom Menace. And, um, there was, you know, it's interesting cause it was, there was no room, uh, or there was no particular specific coverage happening in Star Wars Galaxy. So Steve said, why don't you call Scott Chernoff over at Insider? <laughs> there was, and, uh, there was no room to cover no, the New York City, pre- well, because they were, Insider, as you were pointing out before, Insider was much more about the sort of, hey, everything at Lucasfilm is awesome. And so they were deliberately and specifically covering all the premieres. So there was a big story on the L.A. premiere. There was a story about the international premiere. And so um, since I was going to be at the New York one, they I, I, I ended up covering that. So, yeah, it was I think it was just it, it just didn't. It, it's an odd thing to say, and it, but it's it's true. It was there was not a lot of quote unquote coverage of events, um, it, you know, without it being a, a full full issue, um, and so it seemed to make sense. And Steve said, "Call Scott, and um, he could probably use use some help on that." And sure enough, that's the way it worked out. I'm fascinated with this premiere. Yeah, 
what um, how well, were there actors there? George Lucas, Ricky Boy was, was Rick there swearing in the foyer. Rick was not at this. So in the New York premiere, it was um, it was sort of a, it was one of those interesting events where having not been to a lot of these sort of premieres, um, I had no idea what to expect. And it was one of those things I sat down in the theater and I realized it was sort of make another 90s reference. Do you remember those magic eye posters where if you looked at them long, there was like these weird speckles and you looked at them long enough and all of a sudden a 3D, you know, Statue of Liberty comes out or something like that. I'm sitting in this in this theater and I look around and I'm surrounded by celebrities. There was, you know, like, uh, and some of these are very 90s celebrities, but, you know, Macaulay Culkin, uh, I believe the, um, the Backstreet Boys were there. It was, uh, but Natalie Portman, Liam Neeson, um, uh, Glenn Close, uh, Ahmed Best, um, who nobody knew at the time. And, um, uh, Donald Trump was there when he was just, uh, just, just a, a billionaire. Um, John Leguizamo. So, you know, those kind of people were all in the theater watching, watching the film. And it was, uh, it was a pretty wild experience once I realized that it was, it was such a, a big event. So, what was the vibe like? Like, what was the like? Was there a, an audience reaction vibe you got at yeah. the end of the film, or was there yeah. an after party with people chatting? So, and I may have, I may, I think I've, I've mentioned this before. So, when I was watching, when you're watching the movie, so first of all, my own personal response to the beginning of Phantom Menace was with, you know, with the really questionable accents and the sort of trade federation story at the beginning, um, a little apprehensive and you could almost feel there was a little bit of a, um, in in the theater, everybody's so pumped and so excited and then sort of, I don't want to say let down, but kind of unsure what to think of the movie because it was, you know, it was quite, it was, it was a different type of movie I think than people expected. But as I'm walking out of the theater, and I've definitely I've definitely told this on my show, um, as I'm walking out of the theater, uh, behind me was um, Christian Slater, who I happen I happen to be a big Christian Slater fan oh at the time, gosh. so I was I was shocked. Slater, and, right? And, and 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 he would have been talking in the Christian Slater voice, one of, of the sweetest voices ever. Yes, and that's that was the highlight for me. So I turn around and I'm like, "It's Christian Slater. When am I going to get a chance to talk to Christian Slater again?" So I asked him. I said, uh, "Christian, what did you think of the movie?" And he looks at me like this guy. Like, and, and it's interesting. The you 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 live out in Hollywood, so you know sort of the mentality of <laughs> do I want? <laughs> <laughs> but but that mindset of he just walked always, past actually walking his oh, dog. Did he? Was yeah, he, was he? Oh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the mentality of not wanting if you don't know who you're talking to, you want to be careful how you respond, simply because you don't like. He looked at me like, is this guy an agent? Is he a reporter? Is he just some nerd? Is he like who is this guy? So I said. Christian, what did you think of the movie? And he looks at me and he says, visually stunning. That was his, his only response. <laughs> and he moved on from there. It was dense. <laughs> visually stunning. Oh, my God. I would – hearing Christian Slater saying visually stunning would be uh, pretty good. 
Yeah, it's, again, visually stunning. <laughs> That's as good exactly as I get. It. That was good. Because remember, in, in, it was greetings and salutations. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the, the other memory I have from the premiere was uh, oh, on the right. Can I ask? Yes. Did you include that quote in your article in the Star Wars Insider? I believe I did. Yes! I, I did. Yes. Um, but uh, um, I remember on the red carpet was Ahmed Best, and nobody knew who he, who he was. And and it's interesting because he was so excited to have played the part he did. Mm-hmm. And I remember him jokingly saying to, to some reporter, like uh, – Hey, the best part of the movie, who was the guy who did that Jar Jar Binks character? He was awesome. And he was so excited. He had so much, you know, pride and and excitement around Jar Jar that it was that always played in my head as Jar Jar continued to get beaten up by the fan base and by the critics because he was so excited. And, you know, you see that this was his obviously his big break. I mean, he was in was a stomp, I think, on Broadway, but. This was his first big thing, and it's in the the biggest, most anticipated film possibly ever. And people just sort of shit all over him. And it was just sad because seeing him on the day it premiered, this excited, wild person, um, I understand all that he went through. And you see, it, it, it gave me a different appreciation. It didn't make me love Jar Jar, I'm not going to lie. But it certainly gave me a different appreciation for recognizing what that must have been like for for somebody to be so proud and excited of, about that and to have it be just sort of um, dismissed and, and and mocked yeah I think that's something that is important to know it's, it's like what even things that you don't like what they mean to other people right and just if you want to sort of weigh in and, and, and joke about it, you sort of have to be make you know be mindful that like you can joke about stuff, but be mindful that this is imp- like this thing is important to someone else. Do you know what I mean? And I um I, I try to keep that in mind. Sometimes um then there's a case where it's just like, well, this means way too much to you, so just mentioning <laughs> it is like you're out of line. So you know, right. I, I don't I don't know what to do with that, but. Yeah, I, I think um, you know everyone was sort of laying the boots in on, on Jar Jar Binks, and you know, and then to the people that worked on it, or to the people that loved Jar Jar Binks, it's like, hey man, this is this is my thing, right? Right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There are still there are people now, and it's it's because I think a lot of it is that sort of that age difference. That kids, if you were a child when when Phantom Menace came out it was aimed at you and it hit you and it worked. And, um, there are a lot of people that I've gotten to know through social media who are, they just absolutely love everything about Phantom Menace and about Jar Jar. And so, and that's awesome. That's great. That means it worked. It just didn't work for, you know, the man boys who had grown up and expected more from Star Wars, I guess, in, in 1999. Yeah. I sort of like when I watch, I'm a huge fan of the, the Phantom edit. Um, uh, and I, I sort of just think if you curbed him back a little bit, oh sure, it would have made a lot more. It would have been a lot more palatable to a, a, a wider breach of people. But I remember seeing it on Australian opening night, which was a couple of weeks after 
America, which you know, could you imagine that now? You, you can't even right. can't even pre-release a novel these right. days without a um, <laughs> with that Twitter exploding. Yeah. And just being at a friend's house, because it was a midnight premiere, so we went back to a friend's house, and it was about three in the morning, and, and just like, like I was just trying to defrag. Like right. pe- someone was asking me, because I was like the big Star Wars fan, like these are all, we all, the, the sort of skateboard surf shop that we worked at, we all went to the premiere together, um, or the opening night, I should say. So I was sort of like the, the big Star Wars fan out of the group, and I remember being in like in a room and, Someone going, what'd you think? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, yeah, it was good. Like, but yeah. sort of, you know, it was just so, like, as you were saying at the start, everyone was sort of stiff because they wasn't what they expected. It was just like, I think even if it was like the perfect movie for you, it was just such a information dump. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I found a real soothing bit of the start of the film was when Liam Neeson, Qui-Gon Jinn in the film, put his saber in that door and started cutting, oh, that's something that I've never seen before, but it's so familiar. Oh, yeah, I never even thought they could do it like that. And, you know, there's been, I, I, I would throw that, back is a very similar moment when Kylo Ren caught the laser bolt at right. the start of The Force Awakens and going, oh, yeah, that's so Star Wars, but it just hasn't been in Star Wars before. This right. is And, and it's sort of like like comforting sort of yep. thing. Yep. No, that's, that's a great way to look at it. Yep. So was Lucas at that premiere or not? No, he wasn't. Okay. No. It was, um, I think Frank Oz was there. Okay. Uh, I think he was the closest to anybody who was, you know, not in front of the camera. And and what was the vibe that you got from the overall, like people walking out? It was it was that sort of stunned silence, I guess. In that, um, you know, it's interesting. I I want to. I, I there are days where I want to bash Phantom Menace, and there are days now that as. 20 years removed from it I look at it differently but if I'm being you know really honest I it was similar to what you were saying is I wanted to love it and I think everybody wanted to love it I I, I wanted to love it because I'd bought um eight different sessions that week to go see it so it was it was was pretty important yeah like you I probably saw it four or five times over the the opening weekend with different sets of friends and this and that and um but I think everybody had this sort of Nobody – it's like it's like nobody wants to say, you know, grandma's starting to lose it a little bit. Like everybody knows it's not exactly right. And, and, and I remember it became clear to me. So I walked out of it that night and, and with this vibe and everybody. But everybody was uh, trying to be positive. I remember joking a little bit with uh, – while waiting uh, for, for my girlfriend to come out of the restroom as John Leguizamo waited for his wife. And we were just making jokes and it was kind of fun. But – it was just lighthearted, but kind of like nobody wanted to talk about the movie that much. Um, so it was it was it was interesting in that regard. But I think you know even myself, the, days later when I would go because I think the premiere was a week before, um, and when I went with you know my my grade school buddies who we all grew up as Star Wars fans, I remember them asking me like before we went in, they're like, "So did you love it? Was it great?" And 
I gave pause. I was I was not you know I was not as enthusiastic as I wanted to be, and I think that was the same vibe that was happening coming out. Again, no actor wants to be the one that says they didn't like Star Wars unless you're you're um, you're, you're Jake Cannaval. <laughs> but <laughs> nobody wants to be that guy. Well, Jake can do no wrong, so uh, <laughs> he's uh, he has no fear. Yeah, clearly, or yeah, or acting skills. <laughs> um, but the um, how it was- dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know you. You have that uh, that that spot. So Toro, um, what a guy, Toro. <laughs> but it was um, it was yeah. It was sort of like I said, sort of um, cautiously optimistic and 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 silently. Um, Silently critical, I think. Interesting. You, you're really describing, and it's fine. People can relate to films how they like. There's, you know, but very similar. You're describing a very similar vibe to the press screening I went to of The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was kind of. Um, Solemn, yeah. When people walked out, it was reviewed kind of bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it was. It was not as well liked as Last Jedi by critics. Certainly, yeah. On, on a critical sort of thing, I, uh, I I was a bit remiss. I'm a bit out of practice. We we normally get to this like far sooner, but let us know what what was your first memory of Star Wars? Uh, my first memory of Star Wars was seeing it in 1977 with my. I, my both my parents were there and my my brother was there but I only remember kind of seeing it with my dad and um I remember sort of rolling around in the back of the station wagon on the way home um pretending to shoot tie fighters in the station wagon on my way home and I just remember being you know there's no I I think the first scene that's sort of burned into my memory is is R2 and 3PO walking through uh the blockade runner but that was um I that was the first time I saw it in I'd like to say changed my life you know everybody likes to say they had this big this big moment but the reality is it it just sort of sunk into my life at that moment and became so important to me and you know my first real memory is a t-shirt i got from my grandmother for my birthday because i didn't see it until september ish my birthday is in july and it came fake out fake fan I, oh totally totally you, you saw fan. it like in the second half of 77 yeah oh, yeah pathetic. I know, it's horrible 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 i i you know, this is a this is a big day. It's the first time I've ever told anybody that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't wait for the text message. Hey man, if you could just edit that out, I- <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with everything else, but that's gotta go. Um, no, but it's uh, but, but it was this T-shirt I got from my grandmother with three PO and R two, and that was my first. I was like, I gotta see this thing. Yeah, it's, I walked in and saw um, the wall of action figures at a uh-huh. toy shop. I remember seeing like Greedo and Walrus Man yep. and just like going, this is great. Like what are all these like spacemen up to? So that was, I, I, I instantly wanted to watch the movie because I was the, like the figures, there were so many. I didn't, I wish I had a photo of how this toy shop was set up yeah. because in my memory, it's just endless Star Wars carded figures. Because you know how like, Marge Simpson's hair is really tall in The Simpsons. 
because that was Matt Groening's childhood view of his mother. (laughs) So his angle was always looking up. So the hair looked a lot taller than it was. So I always think about these, this wall of action figures and I'm like, maybe they only had like, maybe it was how it's set up at target now. And there was only two pegs (laughs) and I was just so little looking up, but I don't think it was, I don't think it was. What's your favorite movie? Yeah, my favorite one has to be Empire Strikes Back, and I know it's a very sort of common response, but that's the one that uh, – it's the first one I, I looked forward to. It's the first one that um, uh, that it just stuck with me, and it's probably, you know, to me, the one that, given a choice, if I have to pick from the, the nine films that I'll, I'll put on first. It's a very um, – you're living up to your I saw it in 1977 true fan vibe. <laughs> Empire, it's the gospel. <laughs> what do you What do you make of um, you know, like you were you were there almost from the beginning. You're a few months late, <laughs> kind of pathetic. Um, what do you make of like? I, I saw this thing on Twitter the other day about people going on about how they were seventy seveners or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you, you interact on Twitter with Star Wars fans of, of all ages and all, like, depths, I guess, or all, you know, some fans have been into it for a year, some have been into it, you know, for, for decades. What, what do you make of um, people trying to, like, stake their claim because they've been into it longer? Yeah, I think that's that's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's just like, you know, when, uh, to me it's just like when you're into a band, right? Like, I'm a big rush fan so but i got into rush in like uh in the in the 80s right and there's people are like ah that whole 80s vibe for rush was awful that doesn't count you're not a real fan and so it's just dumb like my and i think it probably helps that i have you know a seven and a ten year old that are getting my son he loves the clone wars cartoon like he loves that more than any other piece of star wars my daughter loves the sequel movies like that's her thing she's all about ray 100 percent ray um and i just feel like it's just another way for people to uh uh create some sort of unnecessary infighting within the fandom you know just uh, as we were saying before you know star trek versus star wars has been completely destroyed by star wars versus star wars Totally. <laughs> it is strange because I um, – like a lot of fans want Star Wars to grow up with them. Right. And it 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 did for like one movie mm-hmm. and then it was like, oh, no, nah, we're getting back to our roots. Let's, let's, let's get some people in some bear suits and uh, let's do some dancing and some handstands. Because, you know, Empire did get – if you were in – if you saw Star Wars when, say, you were 12 or something and then three years later you're 15 and you see Empire Strikes Back, right. you're like, hell yes. Yeah. This, yep, is, yep. this is how I like it, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, like Han Solo's, like, you know, drop and sweep pickup lines. Some were working better <laughs> than others. And then you're 18 or whatever, and then you've got Ewoks running around, and you're like, "What's go like? What's going on?" And Star Wars should be. This is a very odd analogy, admittedly, <laughs> but I feel Star Wars should be like that Matthew McConaughey line 
in dazed and confused. Where he go he leans out the window and he goes, I get older and they stay the same age. <laughs> you know, that is one hundred percent right. Because the people who have the biggest well, I'm not going to say the people that have the biggest complaints because – and we could do another two hours if we're not careful on the different fan factions. But the the group that hated Last Jedi because it didn't give them the Luke Skywalker they expected, to me, is exactly where you're at with that. This is the – you know, they – the characters have grown older. The story has grown older and the the it it, it can't keep up with you. You're not going to get 20-year-old Mark Hamill – swinging around you're not going to get you know younger harrison ford being harrison ford it's not going to happen and the story itself is going to change with the times and and you know there's there's been you know connections between you know people who say star wars shouldn't be um shouldn't be political and shouldn't be affected by the 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 real world climate but the reality is the entire star wars message from the original trilogy is is around technology versus humanity and and they the ewoks fighting the empire is is the the vietnamese war the 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 vietnamese approach to attacking the the american war machine it's the same kind of thing and so you could take that out but you just need to recognize that star wars is going to change any good franchise is going to evolve it may not go where you want it to but it's going to be it's going to to change with with the times yeah, I think the whole thing about the the political messages in Star Wars is some people liked it better when it was easier to ignore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Do you know what I, I mean? think that's 100% right. Yeah. And 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 it's sort of more like you know, like there's a lot of political messages in in the prequels, like Newt Gungray instead right. of you know, Newt Gingrich. Yeah, there's little yeah. names. There's, there's a few others as well. You didn't hear much about it because right. there wasn't that much focus on it. But now everything gets put through a, like a microscope of politics and stuff. And so now it's looking at that. If you brought out the prequels now right. and, you know, there's this stuff about, you know, trade routes and, and, tech and, and duty, do you know what I mean? Like if you put that out now... You right. could say, oh, this is about the current climate. And it's just sort right. of like, well, no, they're, they're kind of like timeless themes. And right. history sort of repeats itself. So right. if you base something on history, it's, it's probably going to come up again in some sort of like metaphorical sense. Right. Uh, favorite character? Uh, my favorite character. That's a, that's a good one. I, I, Everybody wants to say Luke or Han or, or those those sort of things. I, I I would say um, probably right now my favorite character is Orson Krennic. Oh, the great okay. man, Mendar. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's. I, I love everything that Mendelssohn does now. Even every everything he does is awesome. But I just love that sort of mid level management character in Star Wars and and. Um, you know, I also love Taggy from um, was that who was it? Was that oh no, uh, Madi, Admiral Madi. Mm-hmm. Just he was he's just doing his job. Vader gets all pissed off and chokes him because he's sticking up for his department. Um, and the same sort of thing with I, I just love Krennic being sort of in the middle, and I just love the way he's portrayed as well. Mendelssohn is amazing in that role. Yeah, I I don't know. 
what um, Krennic would be like if it was played by someone else. I, I, I just... I agree. I don't think I would like him the same way. He's just amazing. And I don't want to name drop. I do. I, I do want to <laughs> name drop. But when he was on the show, it, it, I was very impressed by the thought he had plugged into where Krennic was at and why he was acting this way. And right. I, I, I was quite delighted with how yeah. much like thought he'd put into the character and, and why he sort of acted the way he did and all that sort of stuff. Um, what about, what about background characters? Uh, so how far background? Like- hey, that's for you to decide, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think I would probably go with somebody like, um, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I don't know. Would you call? Would you call um, again from Rogue One K two S O? Was he a background character? No, he's kind of too much of a lead character, right? He's on the fringe. All right, because I I I love him, but I also think I, I'm probably going to go prequels and go with somebody like um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Rick Ali. <laughs> you know, just somebody who's who's sort of uniquely Star Wars, a little bit overacted, poorly acted, if you will, and just still kind of cool, still kind of fun. Um, ah. and, and an action figure. God, Don't go what Toro a, um, on me. <laughs> what a hypocrite you are. This is... <laughs> I know. I know, but the difference is he's not really poorly acted. Rick Ollie, once you learn to enjoy him, and the way he's just like he is exposition. Like, he's like a ways app. <laughs> exactly. We're turning right in three. Like <laughs> it is a whole city, planet city. He's once you get onto that, he's he's delightful. And also, if you're of that age that you are sort of going in, you know, you are on the Phantom Menace hype. You know, if, if you sort of got into Star Wars after that, it's hard to picture it, but. Because he had an action figure before the film came out, right? You're like, this could be. Um, I think this is the new trilogy's Han Solo, guys. Like, <laughs> he's a pilot. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember seeing him in Star Wars Insider, like pictures of him with Anakin at the pilot desk. It was like, whoa, he's he's the man. Yep. <laughs> and he was just telling him how to pitch it. That's it. That's that's is all it? he was doing. Rick Ollie, great, great. <laughs> Great figure. It's so funny. He's defined by his figure. It's like, great figure, removable helmet, great stuff, (laughs) Comtech chip, talk, talk, talk. Great times. Those chips, they they drove me insane. Where do you keep them? Where do you keep them? I don't know. What is your favorite scene out of all the films? Wow! Out of all the films, my favorite scene. Or is, televisions, you can you can we we need to open this up to um to out of out of all the the visual media, I guess I don't know. Um, well, so then I'll, I'll give you one from TV and and one from the films because my favorite a scene that I could watch from beginning to end over and over and over and over again is the carbon freezing scene in Empire. Just the the music that plays during that entire scene, the, the Boba Fett interaction, the, the chewy response. And of course the, I love you. I know is, is amazing, but that entire scene, because it also, 
it's got that look of when I think of Empire, that orange lighting, the the steam and the smoke. It just that is probably my favorite Star Wars film scene. I just want to ask the listener: when he started talking about that scene, did the music start playing in your head as well? <laughs> I'm not very musical, so I'm horrible at doing that. I'm sorry. But um, yeah. I, just, I always th- yeah, I always think that dun 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 boom 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 dun dun Yeah, and then, and then the fader theme blares out, and it's oh, so great. Such yeah. a great scene. Don't you think that late at night, after all your carbon freezing is done, <laughs> You know, it was 80s. It was 1980. You get, like, Max Rebo in there. You got yourself a pretty sweet, sweet nightclub. Do you know what I mean? Like, with all those, yeah. like, all, you got all the smoke machines. You've got that, that colored wall in the background. You got podiums right. to dance on. Right. I, uh, yeah. I mean, you got the lights already built in, right? That's, so That's pretty sweet. Uh, that's some pretty sweet action. <laughs> um, and what was your TV scene? Sorry. The TV scene is from Mandalorian, and it is the end scene when the the child is revealed in in episode one. I think that to to me is <laughs> one of the best. It's one of the very rare times that I like have gasped out loud watching anything, whether it's a movie or a TV show. I was just. Because I was went in completely unspoiled, and it blew me away. I was thrilled. I remember walking down the street that day, so happy. Yeah, it changed your mood. Absolutely. Yep. For days, I was just so moments like that, and, that, and that's why, like, when people complain about Baby Yoda and stuff, like the toys, Yoju, if you will, I won't have a word of it. I, 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 I. I I, I, I don't care about you and your Yoda action figure or your animatronic um, baby Yoda action figure because I got this priceless rush of adrenaline. Yep. And yep. I think it might have been the lead up to The Force Awakens where one of their key words was like, what delights you or something right. like that. That was sort of like one of their uh, mantras. And when... Yoju was revealed. I was just so surprised, so happy. It was the final piece because watching that show for the first time was very weird. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a brand new bit of live action Star Wars, and I'm watching it on a Friday morning in my lounge room. Yeah. Yep. Very odd. And I was sort of enjoying it, but. I missed the force. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then when that got plugged in and it was such a brilliant way to have the force in the show without going, here's the 30 second lost Jedi that we didn't know was out. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's sort of got to introduce the force into the series in a way that's not just like, here's a Jedi we didn't know about you dudes. So right. good on yous. Like, I know, sort of like in, um, in Rogue One, how they had, um, the, 
oh my god, I'm blanking on the names now. It's been so long since I've seen it. Um, cheer it, the- yeah, cheer it. Yeah, um, you know that was a cool way to sort of have the force in it without like like having a Jedi, right? But um, oh my god, that it was such just a magic moment. I never got, and I, I actually this just clicked to me. I feel like, and you know maybe J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio wanted it to be a different thing, but. The I am your father moment of Disney Star Wars to me is the reveal yeah. of Baby Yoda. Like that was yeah. the thing that dropped my floor to the ground. And yep. I wasn't like, I don't know Star Wars without, I don't think I ever knew Star Wars without knowing that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's dad. Right, right. I don't know. But I definitely didn't get that that watching it jaw dropper moment. Right. But I imagine it would have been very similar of like, Oh my God, that's crazy. And then it adds such a new dimension to this story that's going on. Like this isn't just some random bad guy. Like that's his dad. And yeah, that that's what it sort of did for the, the Mandalorian. It was sort of just like, I've enjoyed this, but then you've just added this in. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, like, oh, tacos are good. Oh, wait till you have it with hot sauce. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, this is even yep. better. Yep. But, oh, what a, what an amazing moment. So that's like whenever people complain about those toys, I'm just like, hey, man, <laughs> don't get me wrong. They're blowing it with everything else, all the other toys and the distribution stuff. But, right. Yoju, he, his time will come. Don't worry, guys. His time will come. So Empire is your favourite film. Right. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one. What's your favourite trilogy? It's got to be the originals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the originals. I mean, I like... It's... Um, I, I like... I've grown to really appreciate the prequels. Um, I had gone years without watching... Um, Revenge of the Sith for whatever reason and I watched it with my daughter coming up to the uh, as we did sort of a rewatch of everything coming up to episode 9 and I forgot how really good that movie is it's really it's pretty solid um, but you know we were talking about big reveals and what always I will never forget my daughter actually didn't know I have a video of my daughter seeing the I'm your father uh, moment for the first time um, but a bigger reveal to her was that the emperor was Palpatine, that Sidious and Palpatine were the same guy. She didn't know. And it's primarily because you and I knew, because we knew it's Ian McDiarmid, so, all right, who else is it going to be? To her, when he revealed himself, she turned to me and she was like, I knew there was something not right about him. And to me, I just naturally accepted or thought she knew it. And so that was kind of a cool reveal um, in Revenge of the Sith. But so I've, I've become a fan, you know, I've, I've sort of, as Ken Knapsack calls it, a reformed prequelist. And <laughs> Um, and, and the sequels, you know, I loved Force Awakens. It may be my third favorite Star Wars movie. Um, I I thought Last Jedi was a phenomenally put together film, and Rise of Skywalker. I'm still, you know, two months out, three months out now, just kind of still trying to wrap my head around it. I I didn't hate it. I didn't have the same reaction that so many people who want to hate it had. 
but I also I, I sort of like the Phantom Menace, like you said, when when people walked out of that press screening, that's probably exactly the way I felt and still feel. I'm still trying to, you know, come to terms with what what all the issues that I I honestly have with the movie. If I'm if I'm not just fanboying, you know, I am tempted to get all Pete on this and <laughs> and, and publish my revisioned script of <laughs> you should do it because i feel like the parts of it are so good right do you know what i mean and i've um i've been doing this series which i had to confront my ocd and break it up so i've been watching the film um i've got a screener of it and i've been watching that I've been breaking it up into what I think the menu chapters will be. Right. So sometimes it's like a couple of scenes, you know, but you sort of like go, okay, there's about, there's about 40 chapters on it. I can't remember. I worked it all out, but anyway, how many chapters are normal in a Star Wars movie? And I was fascinated to know if I liked the bits I liked more than I didn't like the bits I didn't like. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And doing it that way, I like the film more in parts than I do as a whole. Yeah, I can see that. And, but in analyzing it, it's sort of like in that way, you sort of go, oh, if they just had done this and explained that and stuff, like you could have had, it's like another rewrite away. Right. From being this conclusive summary of the saga, conclusion of the saga. Yep. And it's you know, it's the interesting how you're saying how your daughter watched the films. Right. And she was shocked about that Palpatine was the Emperor. Yep. Because she's watching it chronologically. Right. And I feel like It was concluding the story in how in release form. It wasn't concluding the story of the galaxy. It was concluding the story of you, right, and me going to see a new hope when we were little, right. Whereas the start of the story is the Phantom Menace, right, and yeah, it's, and, and, I, I and, and just like to airball Naboo. Like, like, even not to have Naboo in the end celebration scenes. I mean, the way I've described it is I, I felt like Rise of Skywalker was a conclusion to that trilogy. But I, to me, I still can't see it as a conclusion to all nine films, to the entire saga. Mm. I feel like the Skywalker saga, I hate to be that guy, a 77er or whatever they call him. Um, but I feel like it, it, it was a good wrap up. It was, you know, it, it had enough callbacks, et cetera, but it was a good wrap up to that trilogy. But I don't necessarily feel like it 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 buttoned the entire thing up. Yeah, I, I just feel like they it was this one more rewrite with someone that was in the room that was a bit more Hey, let's cover all. Let's 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 give a little uh shout out to everyone yeah. that um that enjoys these films and enjoys all the films. Yeah, because like, everything with Ray, except the reveal, and Ben Solo, I'm like, 
this is awesome. Right. Like, this is right. so fun. And yep. I can't believe how cool and how much I love the character of Ben Solo. Yeah. Yep. Like, I just didn't... I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for Adam Driver to act. And I was like, oh, he's acting different. Right. Oh. And that, that invokes a different emotion in me. Oh, that's the art of it. Great. <laughs> oh, I understand. Acting is an art. Ah, oh, that is that is that is terrific. That is <laughs> terrific. Um what, what what's your favorite scene in that film? In The Rise of Skywalker? Ah. Mm. Uh... <laughs> I should have one at the ready. Um, I don't know. I think I think my favorite scene is probably when uh, when Ben Solo kicks the ass of all the Knights of Ren. Mm. I think that's that's probably the best bit of the movie because um, I felt like it was the pacing was a little strange in the movie. I felt like there was like the Pasana thing. Yeah, it just it, it felt like they tried to shove too much in the first half hour of the movie to an hour and then it kind of slogged a bit but um yeah i thought and i do i wish adam driver had more action as ben solo i would have liked to have gotten to know the ben solo character a little bit more um it didn't ruin the movie for me like so many other people but um i think that was the best part because he just like you know that little the shrug of course which has become legendary and and just that entire scene is is some of the coolest Star Wars action, period. Yeah. I'm like like everything on the Death Star Yeah. Is like crazy good. Yeah. Like yep. from when like Ray first gets there and she's climbing up to when, you know, he throws the saber away after um seeing Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like like I feel like if I just got shown when, just before the Force Awakens came out. I went to um, a media event in Sydney, and Harrison Ford presented on an IMAX screen from when Finn arrives at <sighs> Nima Outpost. Oh my god, I'm, I'm forgetting my um, my nerdery here. Um, Nima Outpost until. The Falcon flies off into outer space, right? So that you know, you get like um, you see Ray um, fighting those locals. You see the Tie Fighters come, and then you've got the Millennium Falcon chase. Yep, yep. And I walked out like crying, just going, "That was the best! Like this is going to be the <laughs> best film of all time." And it was, it was pretty bloody good. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. Um. I feel like if I just got shown that Death Star scene, I would just like go, all right, unquestionably, without question, everyone, YouTube, this is, oh, because I say YouTube because I posted a, a video on YouTube. I don't even think it's on my Star Wars account. I think it's on my like Steel Saunders account with me saying, I just saw 10 minutes of the film and it's like, this is like, you don't even know what's going on. Like, but I feel like if I just seen that, it'd be like, all right, without question, this is the greatest film ever made. 
<laughs> this makes Godfather 2 seem like Godfather 3. This is amazing. Strap in. This is going to be the best. Um, yeah, and that's sort of... Um, that it, it's sort of like the like a common thing in Star Wars because I remember walking out of the Revenge of the Sith just like, um, yeah, it was pretty good, but... Oh, it just could have been a bit better. Like, it, like it could have yeah. been a bit more, you know, attuned to what I like. And what I like, that's the best. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's the thing with every Star Wars movie since Empire, maybe, um, is that it's it's always full of really great Star Wars, but not everything you want. Right. I mean, you can from Return of the Jedi through. What's your least favorite part of Empire Strikes Back? Least favorite part of Empire Strikes Back is. um, (laughs) I, I have a least favorite part. That's a great question. I don't know if I have one. Um, a true 77er. Yeah, because it's a perfect movie from top to bottom. There's nothing wrong with The Empire Strikes Back. Now, if I had to pick, maybe the training montage, although that's that's great too. So How dare you? I, well, what else can I say? It's a perfect movie top to bottom. I tell you what you got to say is but, um, a friend of mine made uh, a fan edit of The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Called Pulp Empire. Okay. And we've done a, an episode. It's like if you're on the Patreon, the full episode's there. It's it's one of like the first 15. Mm-hmm. So he did... It's it's Empire Strikes Back re-edited in a Tarantino fashion. Okay. So it's out of order. Right. I, it starts with Luke... I think it starts with Luke hanging from the antenna on Cloud okay. City. And then, cool. like, Pulp Fiction, it sort of fills things in. But it's edited to all this, like, music that, like, I think all the music Tarantino had used in other films. But um, the Dagobah training sequence is edited to ground control to Major Tom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's the proper name for the movie, but that, that's the lyric from the song I know. Right, right. It's a work of art. <laughs> this ed- think, and, I- and, and, and the thing is, if you love The Empire Strikes Back, which I yeah. do as well, it's such a good way to watch your one of your favourite films in a totally new way. I will have to track that down. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I, I, I might have an extra copy. So... Um, I'll, I'll dig that out and, and send it over to you because it, it is it, – it, it's like it's shocking that it's not like super famous. Yeah. Because yeah, it, 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 it is so well done. And he also um, – Yoda speaks his – I think he's like one of the characters out of Kill Bill, the voice – he doesn't speak English. He, he he speaks like like Japanese or like you know like a, a like a one of those dialects. So I, I'm not sure which. But it it sounds so rad with him not speaking English. That's cool and and way creepier. And um, it also edits in in the montages, um, like scenes from like the other Star Wars films. And it it it's just brilliant. So, um. You got to check that out, and 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 
dismissing the training montage. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I, I, but I'm trying to think of something that I Yeah, don't like rocks like. floating? What do you got against rocks floating? Hey? <laughs> you must have hated the end of The Last Jedi. Oh, I actually, I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, now, now I'm all messed up because I don't know what, what the worst part is. Because I could probably give you a worst part of every single movie. Uh, and that would be a very boring podcast. But that, I just, it's hard. Nothing jumps to mind. Make great you YouTube know? content, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go and, and edit that together. My least favorite parts of every Star Wars movie. And then when it hits training montage, I'm going to lose everybody. What would be the worst part of Empire Strikes Back? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Because then I, I think of like, oh, yeah, the bit where he's like in the back to tank, but I'm like, yeah, it's it's like it's iconic, like. Right. I'm just trying to think of things that drag. Because, like, in Star Wars, when I was a little kid, it felt like C-3PO and R2 were in the desert for an hour and a half. <laughs> yes. Get back yep. up to space. Yep. I I totally agree. Mm. Yep. Um, now, what we always want to know at the end of these, uh, I, I was going to say little podcasts, but then... That would be um, really ignoring the uh, the girth of content you got in today's download, everyone. Um, what are you most looking forward to in Star Wars? I am excited about where it's going to go on television. I'm excited, most looking forward to um, uh, Mandalorian season two, and I know that feels like kind of a a weak and standard response, but. Just, I was so impressed and so pleased with what we got from the first season. Um, I'm also looking forward to it because I have become a big fan of both Clone Wars and Rebels, primarily, honestly, because my son was going into those. And, and, and I've discovered these as really great ways to tell Star Wars stories. So I'm hopeful that that rumored Sabine Ahsoka series is coming out. And if not, at the very least, I want to, I'm looking forward to finding out because I think Filoni has earned many more stories, whether it's Mandalorian or otherwise, and and looking forward to finding out a little bit more about what happened at the end of Rebels, what happened to those characters that that just kind of they kind of walked into the sunset, whether it's Thrawn and Ezra or Sabine and and Ahsoka. So, okay, they they did that um, on Disney Plus. There's that WandaVision, and it's like you know Wanda, Scarlet Witch. And vision, and it's sort of like a sitcom. Yeah, yep. And I feel like you can do like an odd couple type situation with Ezra and Thrawn <laughs> in the unknown regions. Like Thrawn, this is very old school references, but you know, Thrawn throws his death stick on the ground, and Ezra has to pick it up with the force and put it in the bin. <laughs> There's not not many of our demographic who can get that that thing, but 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 trust well, me, trust me, people born in the last thirty years, it's a sweet <laughs> reference. Hey, if if you got if you were getting the flaming logo gif jokes <laughs> at the start, then you're following us on the odd couple here. <laughs> and um, or you know your favorite potential background character, we haven't established if they are a background character or not. K two S O. Coming back on Disney Plus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. It's one of those things where 
Um, we were talking about Star Wars is delivers. You have an expectation and you enjoy what you're seeing and you enjoy what you're getting. And I have to say, like, I had no interest in the Rebels series when it came out and I loved it. I was I thought the idea for Rogue One was terrible and I loved it. Not the plot line, but just the concept of really that's the story we're going to tell. I loved Solo. And so when I heard the Cassian story was coming out, I was like, "Eh, do we need that? But yeah, I think it's going to be great. And I actually I'm excited to see what they're going to do with Kenobi. Again, it's a story I feel like doesn't need to be told, but if they do it right, it's going to be really well done. So, Yeah, and I think, you know, The Mandalorian, which I was sort of not red hot on going right. in. Like, I was sort of just like, well, it's a Star Wars show, so it's it's going to be cool. But I kind, I kind of feel like they mismarketed it. Yeah. Not, but they couldn't, they, they sort of couldn't market it the way it needed to be marketed because that would reveal Yoju. Right. Um, but, yeah, the marketing of it going in, and I know a lot of people like this, they were sort of just like, yeah, it's not what I would have wanted to do, but because they were leaving out the bit of the series that was the heart. Right. Yep. Like, you know, and, and so that is, like, what made it complete. So if, if they can, because, you know, like, I... Like Cassian, I feel like if they can, you know, that that first part of Rogue One expand on that, you know, the spy and and and, and sort of enter that into Star Wars, it could yep. be um quite compelling. Yeah, the Obi Wan one, I'm just like, oh, it'll be cool to see um Alec Guinness, um Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan, and that's like that's sort of like my hype on it. But hopefully, it it can be sort of developed in a way that I'm like. Like, I like feeling foolish afterwards and going, that was awesome. Right, 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 right. Yep. I, I just I just want that Ryan Johnson one to be announced so I can make that my number one. Yeah. Because yeah. I, um, I love that, like, you know, with that um, High Republic, I love the idea of, like, I just want to get away from all the expectation. Yeah. I want to start think- at the start of a story, yep. tell the story forwards, and then it ends. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that works so well about Mandalorian is you know – you don't know. What, like, you know, Mandalorian could have died in that season. Even though you knew season two was coming, you didn't know, like, well, what are the rules? What if, you know, if he dies, does, you know, somebody else take over or whatever? There was there was a moment in that last episode where I thought he was going to die and oh, I thought maybe it was going to be uh, – Totally suck it in. Yeah. Yep. So – I love that. Whereas that's the challenge with the Cassian story is you know where that's going to go. This challenge with the Obi-Wan story is that's where you know where that's going to go. And that was why the prequels were a problem because there was – you knew who was going to live and who wasn't. And um, so it was – I think that you're right. Going Now, I don't – I'm still debating how I feel about High Republic stuff probably because it's mostly books and comics and I'm not a big books and comics guy. Mm. But – I'm excited that the story's going somewhere else and, and there will be story I mean, inevitably on video games and movies and, and TV shows as well. So, yeah, I'm, I was just like, wish, wish it was a cartoon. <laughs> Cause now yeah. I've got to, I, I, like all, this all seems very interesting. Yeah. Now I've got to read a book. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I've, this is, got this 
year and a half old kid. It's very hard. It's it's you know, <laughs> I can. That, that's my because my um I've it's 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 Daddy Sunday, Daddy Sunday, not Sunday, Sunday <laughs> every Friday. Right. So so I like um he's home on on Fridays and and so am I. And he always has a nap at about 10 in the morning. And then that's Disney Plus premiere time. <laughs> Whether it was The Mandalorian or The Clone Wars, it's like he, he, he goes to bed and I grab a coffee and I'm like, all right, here we go, premiere. I'll just imagine that um, that Christian Slater's sitting next to me, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Visually stunning. <laughs> Um, Pete, this has been an absolute ball. Thanks for um, coming on the show. Let the good people of the internet know where they can hear Around the Galaxy, uh, a a title of a podcast that hopefully the uh, Tops Corporation will be suing you about for for (laughs) lifting from their magazine from 20 years ago. Um, Yeah, let the people know what it's all about and uh, where they can – well, you know, everyone knows where they can hear it, but – it's it's the internet, your Twitter, and all that good stuff. The pertinent right. information. Sure, you can uh, you can find around the galaxy wherever you find podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at atgcast, where I'm usually just rambling on about things and letting you know who's going to be on the show, but usually getting into the conversation. And I also have a website uh, atgcast.com where. Not only can you find the show, but you can you can find that 123,000 word version of the Phantom Menace if you're so inclined to read a book that wasn't officially sanctioned about a movie that's 20 years old. How many flame and gifts you got up on that uh, website of yours, buddy? <laughs> well, none right now. But after t- I am going to hang up on this conversation and go find some flaming gifts. I'm I'm doing it. Excellent. <laughs> and um, if you want to hear more of us talking. You've got an episode with me going up. Is that going on the iTunes? Sort yes, of feed? Uh, that will be. I'm glad you brought that up. That will be the next episode to drop, which will be Tuesday. When will this uh, show drop? I have no idea because it's <laughs> Saturday night and then I fly to Australia Sunday. I wow. arrive Tuesday morning and I have no idea. Depending, It's, it's Harry dependent. If, if 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 Harry has a nice plane ride and he um he naps at the start of it, then it it, it could well be up uh, Tuesday. Also, to keep in mind, everyone is I'm staying at Jackie, my wife's parents' house, her mum's house, and my parents' house. Neither have Wi-Fi. Oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> yeah, they make Pete look young. <laughs> sorry buddy that one was just sitting there that, I had to... that's all right that was a softball that was weak uh, that wasn't a softball that was a t-ball that was <laughs> right that wasn't even moving you had to slam. you had no choice but to uh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um thanks so much pete it's um it, it has been really cool I, I listen to the podcast like all the time so oh, um awesome. It, it, it's good to it, – it's weird. I think we maybe talked about it on, on the episode with you, but it's like you like you tweet to people and then you hear them and then when you talk to them, like, hey, this is the first time we've talked after being internet friends for three years or whatever. It's, it's Yeah. It's an it's, odd world. 
it's very bizarre and it's 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 interesting that the um the connections and the the it, i find it very interesting to to find people who who actually read some of my stuff from so long ago and and you know i I'm just pleased and and loving doing the podcast because I get to talk to people like you and people I get to meet through uh, through through the internet and some people that I've I've known for a while. So it's a lot of fun. But, I do uh, have thanks. to I do have to say, if I could go back in time, right? And and like I've like like I've gotten to interview and, and talk to like like I like I interviewed Harrison Ford. It was very yep. amazing, right? Yep. 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 But when I was buying Star Wars Galaxy magazine, driving to Melbourne, an hour and a half to get it, because the card shop had the cards, they didn't have the magazine. If someone had told me, hey, this this guy that wrote this article about the guys that build the giant Star Destroyers, you'll get to talk to him one day, I would have been thrilled out of my mind. I would have been, oh, my God, a writer for Star Wars Galaxy magazine. I get to, like chat to sours like i would have been thrilled and that's how much of a talk i <laughs> well i i'm honored to make your dork dreams come true and, and it's been a real blast talking to you as well i've been listening to your show since i've gotten into listening to star wars podcasts and i, I really dig it and it's it's cool to to finally get to uh speak Face to face, if you will, from across the country. With Skype to Skype. Like I mean, like, like, like you wrote on the episode where Han Solo punched the giant otter. Like, I did. Like I you're did. in yeah. that issue. <laughs> I think I just called that an episode, which is very on brand. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Um, well, thanks so much, Pete. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please uh, do your part. Give it a little share on uh, Twitter or write a sweet five-star review on iTunes. And may that force be with you. Bang. Content. Done. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Steel Wars with our buddy Pete Fletzer. Make sure you go back and check out my interview on his podcast of Around the Galaxy. Now, as mentioned towards the end of the show, if you enjoyed it, listener word of mouth is the easiest and best and most effective way to get Steel Wars podcast new listeners so give us a retweet post about us on Facebook or in your Star Wars group of choice I feel uh, I had a really really good time talking to Pete those stories we dug up I just thoroughly enjoyed hearing so thanks Pete for that Um, the Steel Wars Patreon if you want to support the podcast for just $3 a month That will unlock over 600 episodes of the Steel Wars podcast, along with the full-length version of every Steel Wars podcast. You've got exclusive bonus shows like Star Wars Year by Podcast with Horst Berker and I going through Star Wars history as we flick around the Star Wars Year by Year book. Tremendous fun. Another very enjoyable episode coming up this week. Uh, You've got Page Wars, 
with King Tom, who fills us in on the goings-on of all the latest canon novels and comics for those like me that don't exactly have enough time to check them out ourselves. There's the aforementioned Robbo Report, listener Q&As, and so much stuff. And your $3 really does help the continued production of the show. It was uh, really fun to get back to that interview format, and um, I really missed it. So we are going to be powering through and uh, trying to keep the interviews going. As mentioned at the end of the podcast, I am on a, uh, a visit home to Australia for work and family, so they're hectic times, so your support helps us find the time to get these episodes out. But I've got a um, quite an enticing list of potential podcast interview guests for this year. So uh, if you can chip in, I assure you the content will be well worth your $3. Also, if you are up for some new t-shirts for the coming months, we've got a sale on at merchostore.com, which you can find a link for through the episode show notes or steelwars.com. And it is buy two t-shirts for 30 bucks, including the new Chicago sports reference back in stock for one last time. But you've got Your Snoke Theory Sucks. You've got I'm Ray's Parents, Ignite the Green, all that good stuff up at merchostore.com, as well as uh, stickers and maybe a hoodie or two left. They might all be sold out. But uh, check that out if you uh, need some fresh t-shirts and are up for a deal. All those t-shirts are screen printed, not digitally printed, on the highest quality all-style AAA t-shirts. So uh, amazing fit that don't shrink. Never put your t-shirts in the dryer, you guys. And a print that will last wash after wash. Again... Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. It was a, uh, a real treat to record it as always. Stay safe, stay healthy, and may that force be with you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.